You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always, and I want to welcome you to the actual stream. So we do this every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. The topics can vary. Uh, So what I want to tell you is what we got coming up next week, I'm going to talk about it early, is there's a lot of work that's going to take place during the week because I have a special guest who's actually coming to the studio, as well as we have some special guests that are going to present for us uh, two different things next week. So mark your calendar because it ought to be a great show. It's going to have... Uh, Our guests are going to be from Siemens, so if you're not familiar with Siemens products, uh, they're going to talk about their uh, revolutionary um, snap-on type of uh, neutral, and they're going to talk about, it's called a plug-on neutral, and they're going to talk about their load centers, some things that have changed uh, that are pretty much revolutionizing the industry. Um, They're also going to talk about um, the construction of some of their load centers and what is changing. Uh, and again, about some things aren't going away, but they're going to be adding some things. And we also have a special guest with them as well that's going to talk about SPDs, surge protective devices. And of course, then in the studio, we're going to have Vince Delacroix with us. And Vince is going to be with me. And we're going to go over some of the things that have significantly changed when it comes to over voltage and dealing with Article 242. So we're going to round that episode up next week with that. So it's going to be an all Siemens episode, uh, and we're going to be able to to look at it and, of course, dig deeper into these different types of products again. So they have kind of paved the way for plug-on design. So uh, it's all about making more space in a panel, and and, uh, it's just it should be a great show. So I encourage you to bookmark it or subscribe or whatever and join us next week for that great episode with our guests. Okay? So... Today's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about service bonding. Now, I've covered this before in other episodes, but I had a request from somebody that said, Paul, will you dig into the grounding and bonding aspect of your grounding and bonding course that you offer and just look at service bonding? So I figured I would do that and we would look at it in the National Electrical Code. And of course, we're going to talk about 2020 edition tonight, but again, Nothing was significant from the 2017 to the 2020 that makes any impact on what we're going to talk about tonight. It's just for convenience and to be fresh and offer something that's a little bit of a change. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. Um, So if you're listening to our podcast, we encourage you to come and join us every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time over here in the live stream, which is over at our YouTube channel which is youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. But guess what? You can also watch it on our website, electricianlive.com as well. Now, the only benefit of being over here on the actual YouTube stream is that you can interact with us and chime in if you want. I'll read some comments, things like that. Uh, is So you can watch everything on Electrician Live, just can't comment. Okay, So if you want to comment, jump on over to our YouTube channel. All right, so we're going to kind of get started so that we can fall within our our time frame. Hopefully everything goes okay and uh, all of the the switching and everything. I I like to think now, we've been doing these Electrician Lives now since January. 
So we're, we're right here in June. So I guess it's our six-month anniversary uh, when it comes to Electrician Live. I like to say that I bought in COVID-19, and I'm still with it. Okay, so hopefully we will outlast it. And uh, as we started this in January, and I guess that started somewhere around there. Um, so hopefully you're all staying safe and uh, in getting back to work, hopefully soon. Many places are starting to go back to work, uh, and uh, I'm still working from home. Uh, it's been about two months now. I am itching to get back to my office, okay? But we're going to keep on plugging forward. All right, so let's go on and get started tonight. And, of course, we'll look at the code book. For those that are over in the video stream, they'll look at the code book, and I'll share a presentation. Now, this presentation is uh, it's kind of a treat because it's out of our grounding and bonding series. And if you want more information on getting our grounding and bonding course, then all you have to go is to masterthenec.com or electricalcodeacademy.com. Under the courses, you'll see that we have the 2020 edition of our grounding and bonding course if you really want to get your head wrapped around all things grounding and bonding. I'll also remind you that we have a webinar that's going to take place on June 20th that really digs deep into the grounding electrode systems and all of the different types of electrodes and how they interact. And we're going to talk about the things where you used to hear this term daisy chaining and it's all gone now. We're going to talk all about that. So if you ever wanted to know all the aspects of establishing a good grounding electrode system and the electrodes, then you want to make sure you visit that webinar. It's also over on the website down at the bottom. You can join us at that webinar. Again, it's June 20th. Okay, so check us out for that. All right, so let's go on and get over into our presentation. So we're going to talk, we're going to actually be in bonding today. So bonding being part five of Article 250. And I just I should say that while it's only a couple pages, the importance of part five is huge because it talks about service bonding. It talks about bonding of other raceways that are likely or other piping systems that are likely to be energized. It also engulfs us into 250.102, which talks about sizing the grounding conductor and the supply-side bonding jumpers. And there's a lot that's packed into just a couple pages. And again, if you think of it that way, it's much easier to tackle when you think of, look, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to do something that's in bonding. Now, always remember, Service bonding is going to be at a higher level, and it's going to have some things that talks about things like assured bonding or or extra practices that you might have to do, okay, than you would maybe on the load side of an overcurrent device. Still got to do the bonding, but there are just things you have to do a little differently when it comes to services. And uh, as an electrical inspector for years and uh, head engineer at the city of Richmond and in code supervisor for the city of Alexandria, Virginia, Virginia right outside of D.C., um, I would see some of the worst cases of service bonding. And so when I get questions about service bonding, it really wants me to dig deep and have to answer these questions for people because uh, it's not as complicated as it might seem if you remember all the principles. Okay, so we're going to kind of look at it. And where I get in the way or where my body gets in the way, I will shut me off, hopefully, to uh, not cause any confusion for those that are in the live stream. For those that are over in the podcast, I'm going to read the material to you and try to visually explain it the best I can. So in our, in our presentation, our grounding and bonding presentation, when you go through this unit, 
which talks about bonding, and it's going to go way deeper than we're going to go to tonight because it goes into bonding for feeders and brand circuits and all those type of things. You're going to get a real good understanding, the same way you're going to get it in our webinar when it comes to grinding electrode systems, because we're going to use our program in order to be able to offer this to you. And this is all part of our grounding and bonding series that we have on our website. Now, after studying this unit, the reader will be able to summarize the general requirements for bonding. You'll be able to explain bonding requirements for services. You'll be able to summarize the bonding requirements for other enclosures other than service. That's in the general presentation. We're only going to talk services today. Um, but in our program, you'd be able to explain bonding requirements for equipment if the voltage at the equipment is over 250 volts because you have special requirements for that. Our program would cover that as well. And, of course, you'd be able to summarize the requirements for bonding loosely joined metal raceways. Okay, All of that would be uh, something covered in our program. And, of course, we also would go into hazardous location bonding and uh, sizing and attachment of equipment bonding jumpers. All that type of stuff would be in our general program. Now, remember tonight, we're only going to focus on services. But as you can see, part five gets pretty deep. There's a lot of information that we would cover. Okay, so first things first, when we talk principles of bonding, there's no way that we can have a firm grip or understanding of bonding unless we understand the difference between bonding and grounding. So if you look at, if you're watching in the video stream, what you're seeing is two metal boxes that are connected together by a metal nipple. These two boxes are metal, conductive, and they are bonded together through the metal nipple, okay, which is a raceway. And so, again, it extends the metal from one side, one box, to the other. That is considered bonding. Now, when we run equipment grounding conductors, and everybody wants to call those equipment bonding conductors rather than what they're called, equipment grounding conductors, because they think that bonding is the major role that it plays. Okay, bonding is a major role, but it also establishes a reference to ground. Everything in that equipment grounding conductor comes all the way back to the main service panel. And so either way you call it, it's still doing a function. It's going to provide grounding and it's going to provide bonding. Well, when you're dealing in part one, two, three, and four of article 250, you're dealing in grounding. We're in part five. We're trying to focus more and more on the bonding component. So what is bonding? Bonding is required where necessary to ensure electrical continuity and must have the capacity to conduct safely any fault current likely to be imposed on it. That's why it's so important that we remember about the connections. Okay, It's not just something that we take for granted when we have MC cable and we go into a listed fitting and we make a connection to a metal box. Or we run EMT tubing and we make it into a connector and we make it up to a box. It's how we make those connections are so vitally important. Now 250.8 give us all these different connection requirements and different ways to do it, but we have to do it, and we have to understand how to do it. Okay, That's the critical component when it comes to bonding. So we're going to talk about it again. We're going to focus on service bonding today, uh, but I want you to understand that by bonding these metal parts together, tying them all together, doing it properly, extends the ground connection to earth because it can be utilized as an equipment grounding conductor, you don't necessarily have to have a, a wire-type equipment grounding conductor in your installation if your raceways are listed in 250.118, if your boxes are metal, 
all of those things are also an equipment grounding conductor. But the act of bonding all of these together is bonded. They are bonded at that point. Okay. So when we look at it, some of the terms, the term bonded or bonding is defined in Article 100 as a, sta- a connection to establish electrical continuity and conductivity. I mean, that's the purpose while we're bonding all these metal parts together. Okay. When you get up into 680 and we're talking about pools and you've got equipotential bonding grid, you're tying everything together in order to reduce voltage gradients. Okay. But when it comes to bonding at services and bonding metal boxes and everything together, you're literally doing this to provide electrical continuity and conductivity. In case it gets energized, it allows for an overcurrent protective device to function. You also on the service are tying all metal parts together so that you don't create differences of potential. And if you have a difference of potential and you come between that, then that's how you're going to have current generated through you and you're going to feel that difference of potential. So bonding everything together brings everything to the same potential. You're never going to remove it. If it gets energized, it gets energized. But if you don't bond it all, then you're not going to clear a device. Okay? So, again... All these things taken into consideration. Now, when it comes to services, we're on the supply side of the service disconnection means. So the reality there is you don't have any overcurrent device to trip. So why are we doing it? We're doing it because, one, we're hoping that they have some overcurrent device on the primary side of the transformer that will blow in an incident. And we're tying all metal parts together so if we come in contact with them, that there is no difference of potential, or at least as low as possible, okay? So the requirements for bonding is performed in many ways. Uh, Equipment bonding jumpers, supply-side bonding jumpers, uh, system bonding jumpers. We do a lot of bonding, okay? And all of that's done, again, is to establish electrical continuity and conductivity for all of those connections, Okay. The requirements are included in most parts of Article 250 uh, that we are talking about bonding. uh, But you'll start to see that when we're talking about Part 5 today, it is very much heavily dealing with bonding. Actually, that's the title of that part. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And of course, we're going to look at the code where necessary in order to bring all these references together. So... 250.92a in the National Electrical Code. Actually, before we do that, we do need to go to the browser. And we will look and see what the code says. So the code says that 250.90, which is general, it says bonding shall be provided where necessary to ensure electrical continuity and the capacity to conduct safely any fault current likely to be imposed. So we're tying all these parts together. 250.92 is specific to services. Okay? It says 250.92a, bonding of equipment for services. All right? So that's what took us into our presentation, so where we're at. So I just wanted to show you in the code where we're at. It says, normally, non-current carrying metal parts of the following equipment must be bonded together. Okay? So if you're over in the podcast, we're talking about what electrical equipment on this dealing with the service side, which is the supply side, uh, up to and including the service equipment, what do we have to bond in order to meet this rule in 250.92a for bonding of the service? 
All right. So number one, it says all service raceways, cable trays, cable buses framework, uh, cable bus framework, auxiliary gutters, or service cable armor or sheath, except as permitted in 250.80. Now, 250.80 is talking about, hey, if I've got, let's say, the raceway is underground and it's PVC, and then I have an elbow, and it's below 18 inches, yeah, I'm not going to go connect to that. It's not, there's no need to go and make a connection to that elbow, okay? It might be there for many reasons. It could be there because of the pull, and if you pull the, the size of the conductors, you pulled it, it could cause friction and, and cause problems on the inner radius of the actual elbow. So they changed it to a metal elbow. Well, if it's below 18 inches, no need to bond to it. It's considered out of touch for anybody to come in contact with it. Okay. All right. And I'm not exactly sure how you would do it anyway. I guess somebody will come up with some way, but not necessarily to do that. Number two, it says all enclosures that contain service conductors, including meter fittings, boxes, or the like, interposed on the service raceway. So interposed means, you know how you go from a weatherhead overhead, and you go to a weatherhead, and it comes down to the raceway, and then it comes to a meter. And then it goes out of the meter straight down into the service disconnection means, or in the 2020 code, it might go into what's called an emergency disconnect uh, but it also is considered maybe the main service distinct as well, because it could be. So anyway, putting the meter in that path of those service conductors is considered interposed. Okay, You put it in there. Okay, So you actually took a raceway and you, you put something in the middle of it. You're interposing it into the middle of that run. Okay, So that's what you have when you have a meter, when it's interposed between the service weatherhead, which is probably the point of attachment to the structure, down through the meter and into the service equipment. That meter is interposed. Okay, you could have other boxes. You can have other gutters that are interposed in this system as well. Okay, so all of those things interposed into it and they're all going to have to be being bonded. Okay, all those metal parts are non-current carrying metal parts. Okay, they're either enclosing or encapsulating uh, or uh, enclosing like in a box or in a gutter or in a raceway, service conductors, okay? Now, if you look at this graphic, this is kind of a really good graphic. This is a graphic that's out of our series. Uh, And again, I encourage you to check out our series. It is the 2020 edition of the Grounding and Bonding, which literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of graphics in them and quizzes and things like that to help you make sure that you really understand it. Here we see the utility and we see it coming down to the point of attachment. You have a weatherhead. It's coming down. That meter enclosure, for example, is interposed in that system. Okay, And it comes down. And then, of course, here you have a metal wireway. Now, this is not an auxiliary gutter. Okay, This is a metal wireway uh, because an auxiliary gutter tends to be adding additional wiring space to other pieces of equipment. Uh, some might argue this is auxiliary gutter, uh, but the intent of the drawing is not. It's to be a wireway. Um, and so, but the point is, all of this metal parts is on the supply side of the service disconnect. And we have two service disconnects here. Of course, we can have a grouping of up, up to how many? Up to six of them in one location, correct? Individually. Remember, there was a code change that says I can't put them all in one enclosure anymore. Has to be individually, but there's some other allowances as well. Make sure you go check out our video and that we did on the changes to the 2020 NEC when it comes to this application as well. 
Okay, so in this case right here, you can see in the graphic, all of these metal parts that are shown. Now, if you're on the podcast, what you're seeing is metal raceways, metal meter enclosure, a wireway, and then the metal cabinets that house the panel board for this service equipment. All of this metal has to be bonded, okay? And so we're going to bond it, and that is kind of what we're talking about today. All these things have to be bonded together. Now, let's look at methods of bonding at service. So we're at 250.92B. Now, again, we'll go back to the NEC so we can see where we're at in the NEC so that we have a kind of a, an understanding of, of where we're at. And here at the NEC, you see that we have 250.92B, and it says uh, methods of bonding at the service. So what does the code say? We'll look at this, and we'll go back. But the code says, bonding jumpers meeting the requirements of this article shall be used around impaired connections, such as reducing washers or oversized concentric or eccentric knockouts. Okay, so we already know something. When we're dealing with services, we could run into concentric, eccentric, oversized, where we have to do use washers, um, uh, reducing washers to bring it down for whatever connector or fitting we're using. Okay, when we do this or we have any type of impairment on that connection, then we have to use a bonding jumper. You have to, okay, when you have an impairment. Now, some people ask, they say, well, what happens if I have no impairment and I punch the hole? If you punch the hole, then you don't have an impairment. And if it's a proper sized punch hole, then you have some other allowances that we'll look at in a second. Okay, but we're talking about impairments of some type. Now, it's real common for me to see enclosures where the actual concentric eccentrics are, they were knocking them out and then they loosen the other ones and they're all bent up. Again, that is an impairment and you're going to need a bonding jumper. Okay, it says it right in the beginning of the code. It goes on to say that standard lock nuts or bushings, and that would be standard bushings, not bonding bushings, st standard lock nuts or bonding or bushings shall not be the only means for bonding requirements by this section, but shall be permitted to be installed to make a mechanical connection of the raceways. What is that telling us? That says that, look, you can still use lock nuts, but lock nuts can't be the only method to make that bond. If you need it to hold the raceway, or if you need it to hold the fitting, that's fine. That's a mechanical. It is not there to make that bonding. Most certainly not when it comes to the issue when you're dealing with bonding jumpers. Now, something else to remember. At no case can you use a standard lock nut to do any bonding when it comes to services. Okay? There are going to be some other allowances but not standard lock nuts, okay? All right, so now that we got that straight, let's get back to the presentation, and we'll kind of look at each one of these things and, and kind of wrap it up on this part of it. All right, so methods. Bonding jumpers meeting the requirements of the article are required to be used, again, around impairments. We talked about that. Standard lock nuts or bushings may not be the only means, but they can be there for mechanical purposes, not for the assured, I like to say that word, assured or the known practice of bonding that's required. If we have any of those type of uh, impairments, bonding jumpers are going to have to be installed. Okay. 
Now, when you look at it here, you look at this example. Now, people that are over in the podcast, you what, what we're showing here is a bonding bushing with a lug, and it's on to connected onto a reducing washer. Okay, and that's what we're dealing with. Now, for me, I'm going to remove me because I block most of the information that's on this screen for those that are over uh, watching in the video stream. But it says here. Now, what you see on the screen are is example example examples of concentric or eccentrics. Now, these I believe are concentrics um, knockouts. Okay, so any of these would require the use of a bonding jumper, even if there wasn't a reducing washer there. It would still require it to have a bonding jumper because it is concentric or eccentric. It's considered impaired. Now, what the code says here, it says at the service equipment when using metal conduit or EMT, uh, remembering that EMT is a tubing, not a conduit. I hear that a lot. Uh, It says bond around all impaired connections, such as reducing washers, oversized, concentric, or eccentric knockouts like you see right here in the example here. And I believe this is probably an EMT coming in from the bottom. Okay. Now, you notice it says figure. It says at the service equipment when using metal conduit or EMT. Actually, it's the same thing I just read. Uh, Also, one thing to remember is where paint has not been removed between the fitting and the enclosure, okay, you would need to use a bonding jumper. Obviously, you're going to make sure that you make that that connection as well. But this is driven towards impairment is the key that I want to hammer home here. It's all about an impairment. Now, bonding of these insurers, uh, enclosures is to be insured by one of the following. Okay? All right. So let's kind of look at this. We'll kind of go back to the code for those that are following over in the stream. We'll kind of go back and look at the code. You'll notice it says in the code under 250.92b, it says, again, electrical continuity at service equipment, service raceways, and service conductor enclosures shall be insured by one of the following methods. Number one, bonding equipment to the grounded service conductor in a manner provided in 250.8. Now, 250.8 gives us different allowances for lugs and different methods to make these connections. Okay, so 250.8, and of course, those that are over in the stream uh, that are actually over uh, watching this on the YouTube channel, they'll notice that I will click 250.8 and you'll see that it'll take me all the way back to 250.8, which talks about the permitted methods. Again, listed pressure connectors, terminal bars, again, pressure connectors listed for grounding and bonding equipment, okay, things like that. Um, All of those items, there's eight options here. Those are permitted methods for making the connections for grounding and bonding of equipment. Okay, that's the reference that it's making to it. Okay, so now I go back to where I was before I click the button, which jumped me all the way down to the bottom of the page for those that are watching over on the stream. Okay, so now we'll go back to the presentation for those that are watching again, and I will try to explain this to everybody that's on the podcast. Number one, we talked about it. We're going to use one of the options that are in 250.8, and again, Your lugs in your panel for the grounding bar, that's an example of a 250.8 to make that connection, okay? All right, let's see here. Let's go on and go, trying to figure out where I'm at here on my screen. Okay, so 
One of the things that gets done very often, which is totally okay with the code, is using the neutral to bond on the supply side. Okay, So again, 250.142 gives us this permission. But I like to show a graphic that, that kind of really hammers at home. When you think about using that neutral, here's what you're doing. If, you, if those that are watching the stream, what we have, and those are on the podcast, we have a CT cabinet that has an auxiliary gutter that's added to it, which is adding additional space. And then, of course, you have two nipples that are coming down and hitting two separate service enclosures, okay? All of the metal parts on the supply side are all to be bonded together, okay? Now, the code allows me to bond them as well to the neutral conductor. Now, of course, in all these service equipments we have here, we're going to have main bonding jumpers, and that's going to connect our grounded conductor to our equipment grounded conductors to the enclosure and ultimately to the grounding electrode conductor as well. But also, you have various types of of supply-side bonding jumpers that are going to connect each one of these components together, whether it's the gutter to the actual CT cabinet enclosure. And, of course, in the CT cabinet enclosure, we have a supply-side bonding jumper connection there. Okay, That would not be the um, main bonding jumper. That's over in our service equipment. That's a CT cabinet. But the point is, you notice that the bonding of the raceways the bonding of the auxiliary gutter, all of that is to the actual cabinet. And the grounded conductor is connected directly to the cabinet. So they're all tied together. Now you ask yourself, why can I do that on the supply side, but I can't do that on the load side? Well, rather than blow your mind, it's okay on the supply side because that is where we're trying to get reference of of potential between all metal parts. We don't have an overcurrent device that we can control. But the code tells us we have to do this. So we could really get into the deep whys, but we really need to know that we just have to do this. And so this is an example of tying it all together. Okay. Now, when we get into our course on the grounding and bonding course, we dig deeper into the why. But I don't want to take up all our time because we have a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Just know that you have to do it and tie it. But you can use the neutral to do this. And that is very common to do. And that gives us the allowance to do this. But you'll notice that all of the connections in this picture are utilizing some type of lug that would be listed in 250.8 to make this connection. And that's really the the point we wanted to hammer home with this one. Okay. The next one is looking at is what about remote meters? Now, remote metering is where you actually have a meter set up and it literally is remote of the service equipment. It's upstream. The meter is not right there interposed at the normal weather head coming down and then straight into a service disconnect application. It's remote. So you might have an overhead that comes down, hits a meter, then it goes back out and goes up and hits on over to the house. It's considered remote. Okay. Now, that meter base in that remote, it's remote, is going to have to be bonded to the neutral. Now, in most cases, the meters that we're dealing with, mostly in residential, uh, are going to have it set up so the grounded neutral conductor does make contact with the case. Uh, but you do have meters you have to be careful that are called tenant side meters that would not. Okay, so you have to be very careful of that application. But Verify that the neutral is bonded to the enclosure. Always make sure that. And I tell people, as I always tell electricians, 
Don't be afraid. While you're doing this setup is to take the continuity tester on your meter and check from the neutral over to the case once it's terminated to make sure that it rings out. We want to make sure that that connection is there. Okay. We don't want to have any difference of potential. We want to give anything that might energize those metal parts the ability to get back to that neutral, back to its source. And if there is some type of overcurrent protection on a supply side by the utility, that it will hopefully clear. Okay. We're, we're, we don't know what they do, but we're hoping that, it, that it's going to give us something. Okay. Now, connection of the grounding electrode may be required by the service, servicing electrical utility. This is something I want to bring up. There are many people that say you cannot put the grounding electrode conductor inside of a meter enclosure. Now, I will remind you that you, you want to put the grounding electrode conductor at the service disconnection means where you're going to have the grounded conductor and the equipment grounded conductors uh, all come together inside of the service equipment. You are permitted to also have a connection to earth here at the remote meter. And in fact, some utilities may require it. But let me address putting a grounding electrode conductor, whether it's an auxiliary electrode or it's the grounding electrode conductor that's required at the service, putting it inside of the meter. Many of them don't like it. Many jurisdictions don't like it. They say that it has to be readily accessible. I disagree. Uh, it's readily accessible to those that need to get there to it. Uh, once it's inside the meter, if there's a tag on it, usually if you terminate it right, you torque it right, you do it, why do you need to get to it? The code actually says that it can be installed anywhere up to the service point or the point of attachment. It can be anywhere on the supply side including within the service equipment, all the way up to, again, like this case, up to the weather hit. So it could be anywhere in there you could actually make that connection. But we typically do that in service equipment. But it, nothing that says it can't be in the meter. But many jurisdictions don't like it. So, again, rather than fight, sometimes they like the fight. Maybe you just don't do it. But some of them might, on a remote meter case, might want you, like shown here in the graphic, they might want you to put what's called an auxiliary electrode provided. Remember, that's an auxiliary. That is not your grounding electrode for your structure. Okay? It's not. It's an auxiliary electrode. Doesn't have to meet the same rules as we do for a grounding electroconductor that's at the structure. And again, we're going to cover all that in our June 20th webinar. So hopefully you sign up for that. Um, and uh, enjoy that because we're going to go over all these little nuances that have to do with things like this. All right, so another remote metering situation. Here's a CT cabinet with an offset meter, okay? Prime example here, you have uh, a, a CT set up. You have multiple sets coming in, and all these metal parts are bonded together, and they're bonded to the neutral, okay? So bonding current transformers type enclosures that are installed remote from and on the supply side of service equipment, all permitted in 250.142, all a common practice that we follow in 250.92B1 as well. It bonds all these metal parts together, okay? Very common application uh, to utilize. All right, so the next one we look at here is 250.92B1. And, and that is number two. Now, let's go back to the code so we can go back to look at what the code says as we change back and forth into the code. All right, so number two, we covered the first one. Number two says connections using threaded couplings 
or listed threaded hubs on enclosures if made up wrench tight. So that's the one we're dealing with in that scenario. Okay, so let's kind of go back and look at what we're dealing with here. So as you see, those that are watching on the video, those that are over in the podcast, I will explain. We have a, a, a wireway that comes up from a lateral, and you have multiple services here, and they're interconnected with the equipment using nipples or threaded couplings or hubs. So one example, we see a meter on the left where a meter directly connects to an exterior panel and it's going through a four-screw mounted hub that sits on the top of this NEMA 3R enclosure and then the meter sits directly on top of it. Okay, so that's considered bonding the actual enclosure to the nipple, to the meter. All of that's connected together and that's okay. That's acceptable to use a threaded hub. Now, over on the right side, you see threaded conduit couplings. Perfectly fine. Now, another thing that people ask me, can I use a weatherproof hub like a Myers hub? Well, yes, if it is listed for grounding and bonding use. Just verify that the one you're getting is listed for grounding and bonding, then at services, because again, it has to be for grounding and bonding with services applications. If it is, then it's perfectly okay to utilize as well. Just make sure you make sure that it's listed for bonding at services not just bonding in general. So this is an example of what they look like. For those that are over in the podcast, I'm showing a picture of some some hubs, and these are courtesy of Thomas and Betts, and these are some examples of some hubs, and you'll see the one on the left, which has the screw on it. That one is definitely rated for service bonding. So these are weatherproof hubs, suitable for installation at service equipment, And they have to be listed in compliance with UL 467 in order to meet this allowance to be used as service bonding. Okay. Again, all you have to do, if there's ever a question, I usually have people that that say this to me. They say, well, how do I know? Look, and I I realize that I'm, I'm blocking this, folks. All you have to do is ask the manufacturer. The manufacturers will give you any information. Now, if you do something wrong and it's rejected, and you go, well, why did I fail? And they, and they say, you didn't show me the material. Remember, all you had to do was reach out to the manufacturer and say, is your piece of equipment, is this fitting listed for bonding at services? I can guarantee you, for example, I know the, the people at Thomas & Betts, which is now ABB. They will give you any information that you need. Any information that you need. Okay. No reason not to ask. Now, the third item we saw in 250.92b was threadless couplings and connectors were made up tight for metal raceways and metal clad cables. Okay, so the picture that we show here are some threadless couplings, referred to in many cases compression couplings. Okay, these get made up tight and they are fine. That's considering bonding one raceway, in this case, a raceway to the elbow, to the other raceway, those couplings are continuing that bonding from a horizontal to an elbow to a vertical uh, uh, raceway, okay? That is perfectly fine. As long as they're made up tight, not a problem. They're considered adequate in order to maintain that service bonding, okay? Again, what do we got to have in these raceways? 
service conductors. That's what we're dealing with, service conductor applications and service bonding. And then item number four says other listed types such as bonding type lock nuts, bushings, or bushings with bonding jumpers. Okay. Now, when we hear the word bushings, a lot of people will get this confused. So you've got a couple different types. You have a bonding type bushing, which has the built-in lug, built-in ability to connect and, and connect down into the raceway or the fitting. Okay. You also have what's called bonding type wedges. And the bonding type wedges are typically designed to go underneath a actual metal bushing. And they work in conjunction. Okay, so the bonding wedge, kind of we call an oops wedge, slides in around the conductors where you forgot to put one on. Okay, so that's typically what you would do with that. Now, some of the manufacturers today have these neat uh, bushings that open up like Pac-Man, if you will, the easiest way for me to describe it, is they literally will open up and, and look like jaws. And they really do make for a lot of installations where you might goof up. So we're going to go back to the code real quick. And look at the code because we're looking at item four. Now, notice it says other listed devices such as bonding type lock nuts, bushings, and and uh, and bushings with bonding jumpers. Remember something real important: that this applications where you don't need a bonding jumper is going to be where you don't have an impairment, but you're still going to need something like a bonding lock nut which is the kind that we show with the screw that drives down into the fitting, okay? Those are going to be still required for you to be able to utilize, okay? But if you have an impairment of any type, you cannot get away from a bonding jumper. But if you cut holes, you punch your own holes, and you're dealing with the service side, then I can use a bonding lock nut. I can use a bonding bushing. I can use the bushing with a bonding jumper. I could use a bonding wedge, with a bonding, a metal bonding bushing that ties it all together with a bonding jumper. So I have options here. You only have to seriously worry when you have impairments. And then you just cannot use standard lock nuts. Period. Okay? Makes sense? All right. So that kind of talks about all of our service bonding applications. That's the, the main part of our service bonding applications. So I'm going to take this opportunity to continue on a little bit because we finished a little earlier than normal. So I figure why not talk about intersystem bonding? What is intersystem bonding? Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. I'll come to, let's see if we can actually come back to our presentation and I will continue on. And we'll go to the, the presentation and see if we can get into some of this inner system bonding and look at it a little bit. All right, communication systems. Now, this is 250.94A or B. Now, prior to some changes that took place in a previous code cycle, and I've got my code book here just like you do, hopefully you do. And if you look in your code book, you're going to notice that typically you're going to have some grayed out areas. And you're going to notice that when you look at the code book under this allowance here in 250.94, you're going to see that, that you have an A and a B. But in the 2017 code, B was grayed out, not in the 2020 code. What does that mean? Because we added a B option 
for the, 20, for the 2017 cycle. Okay, so let's explain this a little bit. And I'm going to make sure that I am on the screen because I see that I'm not. Okay, let me explain. Inter-system bonding. If you have CATV, phone systems coming in, cable C, uh, uh, sa- uh, satellite dish, whether it's Dish Network, DirecTV, or whatever, if they're coming to a building, all those communication-type systems have to have a place to make a connection, and it has to make a connection to your grounding electrode system. And we give you options on where to make this connection outside at the meter enclosure or outside at the service equipment. Uh, you can make it co- directly to a device that connects onto the grounding electrode conductor. We're going to talk about all this. But when it comes to communication, you have a little device, okay? And this little device has to have at least three screws, uh, three uh, settings on it, three screw sets on it for you to be able to make the connections. Can you have more? Absolutely. But it can only be utilized for the communication systems. This is called the inner system bonding termination or the IBT. And again, it's only for connecting okay, communication systems. And that is it. Now, where can it be? As you see on the screen, for those that are following along, it says the inner system bonding termination for connecting inner system bonding conductors is required to be provided externally to enclosures at the service equipment, like I said earlier, or metering equipment enclosures, and at the disconnecting means for any additional buildings or structures. Okay, there is an exception to this rule. If I have a separate building that's not going to have any communication equipment to it, then I don't have to have an IBT. But if there is going to be some type of communication, maybe it's cable TV or maybe it's satellite dish, then it needs to have an IBT connected to it. Okay, now a couple other things to remember. You cannot come to this IBT for things like PV connections, for bonding arrays. Okay, you can't do it. Or bonding CSST, corrugated stainless steel tubing. You can't do it at these IBTs. Okay, you can't. But we do have an option B, which is going to help you out. Okay, so let's finish looking at option A. What is the deal with this IBT or this block? And we're going to see a picture of one in a second for those that are watching over on the stream. It has to be accessible for connection and inspection. Obviously, it's got to, you know, going to be there for the inspector to look at it. It needs to consist of a set of terminals with the capacity to connect not less than three inter-system bonding conductors from three different possible types of communication systems. And if you buy them, they're already going to come that way. So don't worry. Okay, it does not interfere with the opening of the enclosure for a service, building, or structure disconnection mean or meter equipment. Now, they make some that click on uh, that clamp on the outside of a meter that give you the lugs. It just can't inhibit the operation of the meter. Okay, they make other different types that actually will again clamp onto the grinding electrode conductor and still give you the number of terminals you need. And they make separate ones that will mount that you can actually add a tap from it over to the grounding electroconductor in order to be able to meet this requirement. Okay, so it gives you some allowances here. Now, at the service equipment, be securely mounted and electrically connected to the enclosure for the service equipment, to the meter enclosure, or to an exposed non-flexible metal service raceway, or be mounted at one of these enclosures and be connected to the enclosure or to the grounding electroconductor with a minimum of a six AWG copper conductor. 
Okay, so what this is saying is we're going to let you make these connections at service equipment. We're going to let you make them at meter enclosures. We'll even let you make it to the exposed non-flexible metal service raceway, which contains service conductors. Because remember, we did all that bonding that we were supposed to do in 250.92. So it should be bonded all together, right? Okay, so we're giving you some allowances. Now, if you want to have it separate, that's fine. You can connect it over to the grounding electroconductor, and all you got to do is make a connection over at the grounding electroconductor and run a six gauge over to the separate device. So you have a lot of options here. Now, when you're at the disconnection means for the building or structure, let's say you're at a separate building or disconnection means, it says be securely mounted and electric connected to the metal enclosure of or the metallic enclosure of a building or structure's disconnection means or mount it at the disconnection means and be connected to the metallic enclosure or to the grounding electroconductor with a minimum 6 AWG copper conductor. Now, you notice in this case here, we don't see the use of the metal raceway because, again, to that separate building, that would be a feeder. So even if it was a metal raceway, we're not going to be able to connect to that. Okay, But at that separate structure, we still have to establish a grounding electrode system usually. Okay, There is exceptions to that rule for branch circuits supplying a building. But generally, for a separate building and structure, we have options here. We have the disconnect. We might even have, for example, in some cases... We might have a separate building that has its own meter, and then you just treat that whole building like it's its own service, and then you would kick you back into normal rules where you could do it at the meter, the service disconnect, or what have you. But this is one here's talking about going to a separate building, and obviously you're going to be feeding it with a feeder. And if that building is going to have communication systems in it, then you have to also provide that IBT at that structure as well. Okay. Now, again, if it's not there and you're not going to do it, it's just a garage, let's say, and you're, you're not going to have any communication out there, then you don't have to do it. But if you're going to have cable TV out there or something like that, dish network or something, then you got to meet this requirement. And again, all terminals shall be listed for grounding and bonding. So even when you make a connection to, let's say, the grounding electroconductor and you run it off to one of those little nifty little boxes, IBT boxes, Again, you still have to make sure you're using, let's say, maybe a split bolt connector that is actually listed for grounding and bonding, okay? Should go without saying, but we want to make sure. Now, this is what it looks like, uh, one of them looks like, from one of the manufacturers. This is Irico, and you'll notice here that it is actually connected to a, directly to a six-gauge, probably connected right to the grounding electroconductor, or it has a jumper over to it. Okay, maybe it's the one that's coming out and poking down, and then it's going out, going down to the grounding electrodes. Well, this just gets in the way, if you will. Okay, and everything else would connect to it. So this is an example of inter-system bonding IBT connection. And again, it can only be used, I want to stress it enough, only used for communication systems. Now, you're saying, well, what about my CSST? What about my PV? I want to have a convenient place to make that connection to the system. Okay, well, the code's got you. Not a problem. So what the code says is we're going to give you another option. Now, this is the exception right here that says if you don't have at those existing buildings and you don't have any inter-system communication systems, then you don't have to do it. Okay? Now, the other means. What does that mean? Okay, well, let me get rid of me so those that are watching the stream can see it better. 
I'm allowed to also option to use a bus bar. It could be copper or aluminum, believe it or not. Some people think they don't, they like, really? It can be aluminum? Absolutely. And it's a bus bar that is a quarter of an inch thick and two inches wide, and it is long enough. We don't give you a rule for the length because it has to be long enough, what? To give us our minimum three connections, but also it needs to give us any additional connections that we might need because we can use this other means to make other connections, okay? We could use this to connect our CSST. We could use this to connect the bond to a PV system or whatnot to the array. Then we can use the other means. We just cannot use the IBT for communication only because they're only listed for that. But here I could use this bus that I use all the time in data rooms to connect all of the uh, bonding jumpers and everything together, loop everything together. You could use this. It's perfectly acceptable to do that. Okay. So the bus bar shall be fastened and shall be securely fastened and shall be installed in an accessible location. Connections shall be made by listed connectors. Again, whether you're drilling tap, whether or not you're putting a hole and you're actually screwing with nut and bolt a lug on it, it has to be in accordance with 250.8 type of terminations. Okay. So just keep in mind that if it's an aluminum bus bar, you have to worry about its connections because it can't be within 18 inches of the earth if it's outside, okay, and it's exposed, okay? And we did have some changes in 2020 to this, but, yeah, we're talking about a bus bar outside. You're still going to have the limitation not to be within 18 inches of the earth, okay? All right. Now, exceptions to A and B means for connecting inter-system bonding connectors are not required, again, where communication systems are not likely to be used, well, I'm going to argue that in all buildings that are commercial buildings, all buildings residential, they're all going to have some type of communication system and it has to be there. A t- a sex- accessory buildings or garages that don't have communication systems in it aren't going to require you to put this IBT or option B if you want more options there for other things that need to bond to the system. Okay? Not required. That's what the, uh, that's what the um, exception is all about. Okay? Um, so bonding of other enclosures, we're probably getting down to the end, so I'm not going to go into this. We're going to say this because it was all about services tonight. Um, but hopefully you got something out of this episode. Okay. And are able to understand the significance of bonding on the service. Now, if you're over in our live stream, we're going to hang out, and I'm going to answer some code questions that people might be posting because I noticed that we have some folks posting some questions, so they can be assured I'm going to answer their questions. For you over in the podcast, I encourage you to jump on over to our video stream because that's where you get to see some of the questions that get posted, and we get to answer some of the things. But just remember, bonding is a critical. Now, bonding on the load side, I guess I'll answer one question that people ask me all the time. Can I use just a standard lock nut on the load side? Yes. But there are some rules that you have to be aware of. So in the few minutes that I have, to, that I have, let's go look at the code so that I can show you down here when it talks about bonding for over 250 volts. Okay, so 250.97. It says for circuits... Of over 250 volts to ground, and again, this would be 277, 480. They would be over 250 volts to ground. It says 
the electrical continuity of metal raceways and cables with metal sheathing, MC cable, for example, would be an example, that contain any conductor other than service conductors. So again, this is not about services shall be insured by one or more of the methods specified for services in 250.92b. So I can use all of those methods, and I have to, if I'm dealing with something that is bonding for over 250 volts. Treat it like a service. The only one that I can't use was B1. In other words, since it's a feeder, I or, or, or even branch circuits, I cannot use the neutral. That's what B1 was about for services. I can do that for service bonding, but I can't do that for, for uh, load side bonding for feeders and branch circuit applications, okay? I can't do it. So I can do any of the methods in 250.92B. I'm okay with any of those methods we just talked about other than B1. I mean, I can't use a neutral. But I have some allowances here, some exceptions. It says, exception. Where oversized concentric or eccentric knockouts are not encountered or where a box enclosure with concentric or eccentric knockouts is listed to provide a reliable bonding connection, the following methods shall be permitted. What does that mean? What does that mean? What that means is, is if I've got a box and I know this box is rated for over 250 volts, then I can do what? I can use any of the means here, one, two, three, and four, in order to bond it. And you'll see those here. I'll talk about those in a second. I got a few minutes. Um, but if I'm dealing with oversized concentric eccentric knockouts, I've got a problem. I've got to follow 250.92B, like I just said. How? What if I'm not dealing with oversized or eccentric or concentrics? It means I knock the plug all the way out. Then I can use one, two, three, or four. And remember, we're not talking services now. We're talking feeders. We're talking about brand circuits. We're talking bonding for over 250 volts, okay? Now, for 12240, 12208, not a problem. Standard lock nut works fine. Just make sure the fittings are listed, everything's listed. That's not a problem. So you kind of see that the reason I wanted to talk about bonding over 250 volts is because it's very much like services, okay? All right, so let's kind of look at it real quick. Number one says threadless couplings and connectors for cables uh, with a metal sheathing. So I can use threadless couplings and connectors for cables with metal sheathing as long as they're what? Not dealing with oversized concentric or eccentric. Okay, so as long as I'm not dealing with reducing washers, I'm not dealing with, with concentric eccentric applications, then I can use threadless couplings and connectors with the cable assemblies like an MC cables and all that. To the, no problem. Not a problem. Or if the box is listed for it, the knockouts are listed for 250 volts, then I can still use threadless couplings and connectors. Not a problem. Number two, two lock nuts. So I got rigid metal conduit comes to the box or intermediate conduit. I can have one on the inside and one on the outside of the box and cabinet. These are standard lock nuts, but I got to have one on the inside and one on the outside. Okay? I have two lock nuts. So two lock nuts on rigid or intermediate. One on the inside, one on the outside, sandwiches it down, lock it in, then you're okay. Again, as long as the box knockouts are rated for 250, over 250 volts or you don't encounter concentric or eccentrics or oversized knockouts, okay? Number three, 
Fittings with shoulders that seat firmly against the outside of the box. It says fittings with shoulders that seat firmly against the box or cabinet, such as electrical metallic tubing connectors, uh, flexible metal conduit connectors, and cable connectors with one lock nut on the inside of the box or cabinet. That's just a standard application. Again, remember the charging statement here. To be able to do this, no oversized, concentric, or even eccentric knockouts. Okay, or the box is rated. The knockouts are rated for over 250 volts. Then I'm okay. I use standard fittings for EMT, FMC, all those type of things. Perfectly fine. And then the last one is listed fittings. I can use any listed fittings with a specific type of wiring method as long as it's listed for use with that type of wiring method. Not a problem for this application. As long as I meet, again, the rules here in the charging statement. Oh, right here in the uh, exception, excuse me. Right here in the exception. As long as I meet those and I'm not in, and I have, as long as my box is rated for over 250 volts or... I don't have any oversized or concentric or eccentric knockouts, then I'm good to go. I can use the listed fittings that's listed for the wiring method that I'm choosing. Pretty simple stuff when you think about it. All right, that's going to take us back to me. And hopefully you got something out of tonight's episode. Um, If there was any questions that I generated, it's a lot of stuff to cover in an hour. Join me each week during the week when we do exam prep, usually on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We just dig into all. Bring your questions. Um, We'll try to answer them. We'll look at some code examples. Join us every Saturday night here on Electrician Live. If there's a topic you want me to cover in future episodes, holla. Email me. Let me know. Info at masterthenec.com. Also, bookmark next week. We have a great show with Siemens. Special guests. There's going to be four special guests on that show. That's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to have to work a lot of things to do that. So if you're over on the video stream, hang in there. We're going to continue on. If you're over on the podcast, thank you all for coming. I appreciate you. Until next time, stay safe and God bless. You've been listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy.